welcome to the Ragged Scratch podcast. I'm your host, Natalie. I hope you've been enjoying the selection of plays so far this season. I love it when we hear from you, so please do let us know what you think. I also love looking at our listener stats, and it's great to see so many listeners, not just from the UK, but from the States, Canada, all across Europe, Africa, the Middle East and Asia too. That's incredible. So thank you so much. Whilst we're a group of creatives based in the UK, I believe storytelling at its best is universal, and I would love to help share more plays from around the world in future seasons. So tell your playwright friends about us. This week, we listen in on a meal that is more than it seems in Table for Two, and I chat to writer Matt Wixey about his influences, including cybersecurity and anechoic rooms, amongst other things. But first, after a man answers an advert placed by a young woman selling an old-fashioned record player, they both get more than they bargained for. The Long Player was written by Benjamin Peel, directed and edited by Kirsty Gilmore, and stars Nigel Fife as Jack and Joanna Simpkins as Tina. Hello? Where are you now? You're on the right street, yes. To be honest, I'd forgotten you were coming until this morning. Okay, I'll I'll see you in a minute. Hi, Tina. I'm Jack. I'm here about your record player. Oh, yeah. Come in. I got a bit lost. I used to live around here, but it's all changed. I went to find where I used to live. Hardly recognise my old neighbourhood. Oh, right. Sorry if I come at a bad time. No, um, it's just through here. And you say it still works? Yeah, I've just checked it. It's only I've come a long way and... I did say that well, it was in full... Well, there it is. Take a look. Would you like a cup of tea or coffee? Tea would be great, thanks. Milk, no sugar, please. There's some records in the box on the floor. Feel free to have a look. Kettle's on, so don't let me stop you looking. I'll have a look in a minute. Have you lived here long? I've lived here all my life, but uh, not in this house. Me and Darren have just moved in. Did you see on the phone that you used to live round here? Yeah, but a long time ago. It's all got bigger since. So, (laughs) what do you reckon? I I mean, I know the condition isn't great, but it's been well used. I don't mind that. These dance sets really mean something to me. Is it okay if I put something on? Sure, I'll... Just go and see if the kettle's boiled. Milk, no sugar, wasn't it? Yes, thanks. Tea's here. What's this? It's a piece of music my mum liked. You could have those, along with the record player, if you buy it. I mean, I mean, there's another box. A whole load more in it. Guess it's all digital music with you. No. I still like CDs. 
We had a player very much like this one. Used to play my mum's favourite records to her when she was ill. Did you not keep it? Well, no, I left it behind when... That's a long story. What else have you got in here? Can I put something else on? Yeah, of course. What made you put this on? It's an old favourite of mine, even though it's before my time. My mum got me into them, yeah. Where do you get these records from? Take it off! Take it off now! Oh, I'm sorry, is there something wrong? There's a photo tucked in the lid. M my mum would um, play this when she was depressed. God knows why, it's a wrist-slashing song. She said it reminded her of um, being with someone, someone who left her. This photo... Is your mum called Lucy? Yes, well, she was. How do you know that? She's dead then? Yes. This photo that was in the lid. That's me. Is that your mum? Yes, that's her. And did she ever tell you who the man was? What do you mean? No, you can't mean. I've got a bit less hair now, but... But it is me. Oh, my God. I can't believe this. Did you know before you came here? I swear, I had no idea. When did Lucy, your mum, die? A few months ago, but I've, I've, I've only just got around to selling a few things off. You didn't want to keep them? No, they remind me too much of... How could you just walk away? I didn't want to. Believe me, her depression got worse and worse. She was hospitalised a few times. I tried to help her, but there was nothing I could do. What about me? I was young. I was working away a lot. Eventually, I moved away as it was too... I couldn't take all the responsibility, so Lucy's sister took you in. I guess they never mentioned me much. No. Every time I asked, they fobbed me off. I was just trying to protect you. How could you just walk away? I know, and I bitterly regret it. But your mum... I wanted so much to get back in touch, but with every passing year, it got harder until it just seemed too late. Can I ask how she died? She killed herself. Oh, I'm so sorry. She managed to go a few years without an episode, but it never goes away. Are you really my dad? Have you got a small birthmark on the inside of your right leg? You remember that? I've never forgotten you. Did your mum never talk to you about me? She sometimes mentioned you, but most of the time she was away with the fairies. When she played records, she sometimes talked about you, but nothing much, just little things. Like what? I don't know. I can't think. I, I've just found my dad I thought I'd never see. I'd like to get to know you, if you'd let me. You come waltzing in here with your, with your flash car and your fancy clothes and you turn my life upside down. Why the hell should I let you into it? But I can't undo the past. No, you damn well can't. But I can try and do something about the future. What? You're going to make up for the nearly 20 years, are you? I'd like to try. I don't want anything from you. You come in here and you, and then the space of about five minutes and you say you walked out because you couldn't face the responsibility. What sort of man does that? 
A totally spineless one. And now you say, what makes you think that I want... What gives you the right? I was young and I was selfish. I admit that. But I couldn't bear seeing the woman I loved in so much pain and not knowing how to help her. Maybe I was a coward. But I just felt so helpless and frightened by it. It wasn't just post-baby blues. She had a couple of episodes before you were born. It got worse afterwards. But that's nothing to do with you. What about me? You could have asked for custody. I thought you were better off where you were. At least being brought up by your aunt meant you were near your mum. I tried to stay in touch to begin with, but your aunt said it was probably better that I didn't. Don't blame her. She was only thinking of you. It must have been hard for all of you. You've not had to live with it for most of your life. Sometimes she could be such good fun. But mostly, especially when she was put on stronger drugs, she just... Well, it wasn't her anymore. You've every right to be angry and upset. But this is a complete shock for me, too. I've dreamt of finding you again. I just don't know what to think, how to feel. I don't know about you, but I believe in fate. You placed that advert for that record player. I saw it, and something drew us together. Oh, that's bullshit. No, that's fate for you. Yeah, well, fate can work out in strange ways. Oh, you're not wrong there. You know, I dreamed of finding my dad and wondering what it'd be like. A fancy git with a flash car? <laughs> Maybe. I, I don't know, do I? Look, if you want me to go, I will. No. No, don't do that. I still can't believe this is you. Could you bear to listen to that song again? Yeah. Okay. I might start crying, though. I think I might, too. I'm here now with Benjamin Peel, who's the writer of The Long Player, which the audience will have just heard. Welcome to the podcast, Ben. Thank you very much, and thank you very much for choosing my piece. No, you're very welcome. Uh, so could you please tell us a little bit about yourself and your writing background? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I live in uh, Bracing Skegness, uh, up on the uh, Lincolnshire coast, where I work uh, part-time in the library there. Uh, prior to that, I was living in London for about 10 years. Uh, I wrote a couple of short pieces there for an outreach group of uh, Chicken Shed in East London. Oh, yeah. But it was um, coming back to uh, Skegness about 10 years ago that I began to take my writing a bit more seriously. I'd worked in stage management for a few years as well, and uh, my dad's an actor as well, so it means I've seen quite a lot of plays over the years and quite a lot of uh, new writing. I, mm -hmm. My dad's always been interested in new writing himself. So I've just uh, I've written about subjects that 
interests me and kind of used my own life in a few ways as well. As I, I wrote a monologue about someone running the London Marathon, which was um, also a way of vanquishing some of my own demons as well when I wrote that. <laughs> Did you not have a pleasant experience running the marathon? Well, it wasn't the running the the, uh, the marathon so much. Uh, it was um, the running has kind of helped vanquish uh, a few personal demons I see. in my life. I'm with you. Uh, rather than uh, yeah, the actual uh, running. But I, I also find that um, running helps with uh, the writing as well. If I uh, hit a problem in the, with the writing, uh, mm. if I go for a run, and uh, usually a problem uh, presents itself uh, without really thinking about it. So out of the things that you have written in your writing history, what's your favourite thing that you've written about before? Do you have a favourite genre or style that you work in? I guess uh, it's probably um, writing about uh, historical events and uh, real-life events because um, mm. I've been very fortunate uh, to have had a play uh, published uh, in 2018 which has received four productions now as well. It's uh, a full-length play about a women's football team that um, formed in the First World War oh. and which I, I kind of stumbled across really because I had no idea that women's football went far, that far back and it was just watching the 2011 Women's World Cup and they mentioned this team that um, formed up in Preston in 1917. Mm. So uh, uh, that was a really intriguing uh, piece to write about. That sounds cool. Uh, what was that called? Uh, not a good game for girls. Mm. So I guess, uh, yeah, uh, writing about uh, various bits of history is probably something that uh, I enjoy the most. Yeah. So uh, going back to the long player, it, it feels like quite a tidy finished piece, uh, like quite standalone. It will work. But uh, but it also does feel like something that could be the start of a longer play where you course the, the characters evolving relationship and figuring out how they they fit with each other. Um, are you intending on expanding this piece or do you feel happy with where it's left? I think uh, I'm quite happy with it as it is. Uh, mm. I think sometimes short and sweet can be uh, can be a good thing. So there's something quite warm and evocative and definitely nostalgic about the, the crackle of a record player, right, compared with the sharpness of digital music. I think a lot of people have fond memories of a piece from their youth that they listen to in this way. Um, are there any records like that that have this sort of emotional connection for you? Yes. Um, I, well, I'm old enough uh, to have listened, first of all, to all my parents' music on vinyl, and then mm. uh, I own some myself although I'm, I'm quite regretful now really that uh, I got rid of it all when CDs came along I'm mm. a, bit, um, a bit disappointed that I did that really but uh, uh, my parents had uh, records like uh, Cat Stevens and Simon Garfunkel on vinyl as well as the original Jesus Christ Superstar recording wow nice which I used to yes I used to love listening to that and um, I think uh, yeah listening to songs like The Boxer by Simon Garfunkel and the first cut is the deepest by um, Cat Stevens mm. for the first time on an analog record player with all that vinyl crackle mm. seems seems uh, much more emotional in a way to listen to them now on CDs or MP3. Cool. Well, thank you very much for that. Do you have anything else coming up within the kind of recent vicinity? You said that you you are working on some projects, but anything coming up imminently? Uh, not imminently. Uh, I'm in that kind of position that uh, yeah, a lot of writers and actors are in at the moment. Uh, well, most of the time, I should say. That's uh, yeah, it's uh, 
uh, just waiting to hear from various things that I've uh, applied for or uh, opportunities that I've uh, submitted to. Mm -hmm. uh, I found out last month that uh, a play I've written has reached the semi-final stages of an international playwriting contest. Oh, brilliant. Con which congratulations. Is, uh, thank you very much. I shall find out next month if it's progressed any further. But okay. that's been organised by, by a theatre company based at the University of North Carolina. Oh. So, well, uh, by, the so time, by the time this goes out, we might actually have heard the answer. So you'll have to let us know and I'll, um, I'll mention I, it. I will do. Yes, of course. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. So if people wanted to keep track of what you're up to or, or kind of follow your work, do you have a website or are you on social media? Where are you on social media? Uh, yes, I've got uh, all of the above. Uh, my website is benjaminpeelwriter.wordpress.com. Uh, Twitter handles uh, at Benjamin underscore Peel. Uh, Instagram is Ven. Hamin, which uh, I, my name in Greek, or how my name is pronounced in Greek, so I, I have some Greek friends. Ah. And uh, yeah, and uh, I've also got a Facebook page called Benjamin Peel Scriptwriter. Fabulous. Uh, yes. So, so yes, uh, yeah, you can find me uh, on all of those. Brilliant. Well, thank you ever so much for coming on the podcast. Well, thank you very much for having me. And, uh, and again, uh, thank you very much for uh, selecting my piece. And a special thank you goes out to Pete Ivitz for giving us permission to use his track Red Dancing Shoes at the end of the long player there. You can find it on his album Autumn Evening, and his latest album, Blue Dress, is now available on Amazon. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Writer Benjamin Peel has made it through to the semi-finals of the International Thomas Wolfe Playwriting Competition, organised by the Playmakers Repertory Company. Finalists are announced on the 9th of March, so good luck, Ben, and congratulations on making it this far. Next up, Maria and Stuart are enjoying a fancy, intimate dinner. But Stuart needs to know something, fast, and Maria is determined to keep it a secret. Table for Two was written by Matthew Wixey, was directed by Nadav, edited by Natalie Berrin, and stars Juliana Kurokawa as Maria and Issy Adeola as Stuart. Nervous? I know it's difficult, but you can talk to me. You can... Did you like the duck? Uh, plum sauce, was it? Poison, Stuart. Tasted like plum to me. You've never had a sophisticated palate, have you? You did well, though, getting us this table. Very secluded. I like fish and chips. Fish. Poison means seafood, but there's no seafood in it at all. In Vietnam, back when it was Vietnam, they called it black sauce. Do you travel, Stuart? Not since the... Where did you go? Let's not make this about me. Oh, the States. A few times. How exotic. Where? The West Coast. Oh, boo. Too vague. Where on the West Coast? Nevada. Vegas, you mean. It wasn't even on the coast. For a stag do. A few times, you said? Did you like it? The heat. Stifling. You couldn't breathe. Or was it the sense of abandon? What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Everyone needs to let loose, don't they? You know about that, in your line of work. I could say the same about you. Or did you like the artifice of it all? Gondolas on an indoor canal. 
I remember. The water was black. We're not going to see each other again after tonight, are we, Maria? Shouldn't we- And Caesar's palace. I wonder if, thousands of years from now, alien archaeologists will conclude the Roman Empire was still going strong well into the 20th century. Speaking of digging up the past, what- I wonder what they'll make of it. What's left? How all our empires fall. Rome and Vegas and Vietnam. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare. The lone and level sands stretch far away. Shakespeare. Shakes. Make an effort, Stuart. Shakespeare. It's Shelley. If there were a statue of me, what do you think would be on the pedestal? I don't think there'll be a statue of you. That's mean. And you wonder why we don't talk anymore. Want a refill? So that's the plan. Let the wine flow, free my lips. Did you think I'd lose myself in divine madness? Give up my secret history? Did you think you were Dionysus? Jurassic Park? Dionysus, Stuart. I know you don't want to talk about it, but it's important. Tell me about him. I have to know. Think how much better you- You've seen Jurassic Park, then. What's that got to do with- Stuart, you won't win. I'm a clever girl. So am I. I'm Stuart. So I haven't had your education, but I read, I- The Da Vinci Code? Harry Potter and the- Yes, actually. I've been to the theater. I- Cats was hardly- I like cats. I'm not surprised. For he's a fiend in feline shape. A monster of depravity. Eight years. And you haven't changed at all. I'm trying to talk like- Like two normal people. You're making it impossible. Don't do it then. Is this really how you want to spend tonight? Okay. You win. I'm sorry. I'll tell you. I was young, stupid. I haven't told anybody this because it's... It's too painful. It was years before we met. 2020, I think. I was 14. As you'll recall, I didn't have the nicest childhood. A sick mother, a violent father. One of my few pleasures was to sneak into a club in Soho. It was something out of time. Beautiful booths, the seats all worn red leather, tables scarred with cigarette burns. Like me. One of the regulars was a man they called Johnny Buckles because of his belt. There was a huge buckle on it, a snake eating a woman's head. He wore that belt every single day. And one day, The barman said, I'll give you 20 quid if you can find out where Johnny got his belt. Ask him yourself, I said. But they were all scared of him. There was something off about him. His eyes would slide over you like eggs in a greasy pan. But I found the courage one day. I marched up to him and said, Where'd you get that tacky belt from, Johnny Buckles? The place went completely, totally silent. Johnny turned to me and very slowly took off his belt. He motioned for me to hold out my hand. And then he lashed the belt down on it like a whip. I stood there, bleeding, stunned into silence. I looked into his eyes. And I was helpless. We left the club together. That very night, he became my first. My first conquest. Things he showed me. They say women subconsciously seek out men like their fathers, don't they? 
But who was... When I got home the next morning, the state I was in, it looked like I'd got into one little fight and my mum got scared and said, you're moving with your auntie and uncle and Bella. <laughs> I'm sorry. I couldn't help myself. It was all getting so serious. You, you made all that up? Well, parts of it. You're a... A clever girl. A heartless, psychopathic bitch. That's my epitaph. Write that on my statue. That's all there is, Stuart. All that's left. Make your peace with it. I have. And the Wilsons? Do you think they've made their peace with it? Because I'm not sure they can. Why are you taking it so personally? Because I thought I could help. You can't. But you can! I've had a lot of these meals. A lot of people. You're the only one who's ever made me feel truly sick. In all my years as warden. In three hours, we're walking you down that corridor. And you'll be executed. Dead. You do understand that, right? Three hours. Thanks for a wonderful last supper, Stuart. Oh, do you have any runnies? I think I might get some gas. <laughs> oh, I've been saving that joke for years. I couldn't not use it. Oh, Stuart, come back. I'm sorry. I, I really am. Just tell me. The paperwork's done. They'll commute your sentence. Life. That's something, isn't it? I can't help them. Even if I wanted to, I can't remember. The others, maybe, if I thought about it. Johnny Buckles. I could show you exactly. You always remember your first. But my last. Little Michael Wilson. For the life of me, I can't remember where I buried him. I remember everything else. Picking him up, he didn't weigh a thing. The light fading in his eyes, the color of his blood. He was my greatest achievement. But disposal is different. It doesn't matter so much. How can you not remember? After you've drunk a Chateau Latour, would you remember where you've thrown the bottle? Anyway, what are you doing tomorrow? I... I think I'll book some leave. Go somewhere different. I've had enough of this place. Good for you, Stuart. Good for you. Me? I don't have any plans. Shit. Comes sudden, doesn't it? Everyone's the same. When it hits them, the little empire's gone. Nothing else left. You're no different, are you? But it'll be over soon. I'm here with Matt Wixey, the writer for Table for Two. Matt, welcome to the Ragged Scratch podcast. Thank you for having me. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself before we get into Table for Two? Yeah, sure. Um, so I started writing short stories at quite an early age. Um, and then I gave up for a long time. Um, I went to university and uh, straight after uni, ended up working in the Met Police. Um, oh, yeah. I was there for eight years. Um, and during that time, got into computing and cybersecurity and, and stuff like that. Um, and that kind of takes up a lot of spare time. And that was kind of my main hobby. So I gave up on writing for about 10 years, uh, I think. And then um, in 2018, I 
uh, kind of randomly submitted a short story to, uh, it was actually a competition run by a, a hacking conference. Mm. Um, and amazingly, kind of still to my surprise, uh, that one first place and that kind of made me think, well, maybe I should kind of get back into it. Um, so I started writing plays kind of October 2018 um, and I've been doing it ever since while still kind of working in, in cybersecurity as well. Mm. Well, that was actually one of my questions is that I'd seen on your profile that you, you do this. You're a security researcher as well. So that makes sense with the, the police background. Mm. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about what I know? I know obviously we're here to talk about your writing, but could you tell us just a little bit more about what being a security re researcher means? Yeah, sure. So it's uh, a job in cybersecurity, which is kind of technical research into new techniques that hackers are using and new techniques on how to defend against those techniques and against hackers. Mm. Um, so it could involve anything from something very technical, like a really detailed analysis of a communications protocol or, or radio signal or something like that, through to really multidisciplinary stuff like behavioral psychology and linguistics and how that kind of applies to hacking and cybersecurity as well. Mm. That sounds fascinating. It can be. Uh, yeah. <laughs> on, the, on the good days it is. Okay, fair enough. All right, well, let's let's go back to your writing. Mm -hmm. uh, and and out of the things that you've written, I know it's it's been a couple of years. So, do you have a favourite thing that you've written before? Um, yeah, I suppose I do. So, I really like writing, uh, whether it's kind of plays or short stories, whatever. I like kind of setting things in really unusual settings um, and trying to give them sort of un an uncanny vibe and kind of putting twists in there. Mm. Um, I love writing sci-fi and horror. Um, probably the favourite thing I've written to date is a short play called Anechoic, um, which was uh, put on at the Pleasance uh, last year by Picked and Mixed Metamorph Theatre. Um, nice. And that was, um, so it, it's set in an anechoic chamber, which is um, a soundproof room, but not just soundproof, it's like totally soundproof. So it's mm. supposed to be the quietest place in the world. And the play was kind of, it was a horror play. Um, about what would happen if you were in the quietest place in the world and then you started to hear sounds. Um, so oh yeah, that's pretty much, yeah, so that was my favourite thing I've written to date, I think. There's, I mean, I've never been in one, but I have heard that it's one of those things where when, when you're in a room that is one of those super quiet rooms, you do start to, well, I mean, you get a hyper sense of hearing, right? So you start to hear your own bodily noises Absolutely. even more and... Yeah. your thoughts exactly well, i guess yeah you can you can kind of hear like um if you kind of turn your neck in there you can hear kind of tiny bubbles of gas kind of popping in your bones and that kind of thing um and it's also i was talking to the guy that ran it um so sorry 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 i've used an anechoic chamber before as part of um some uni work that i've done right and i was talking to the engineer who kind of runs the room and he said that actually um like auditory illusions were a really common thing mm. so because you're so used to hearing kind of ambient noise, your brain will kind of make up ambient noise when you're in there, when you're in an anechoic chamber, because it's just so used to it. Um, so it's really common for people to kind of like sense a presence in there or to hear things that they're not actually hearing. So yeah, really spooky. Yeah, that sounds like it'd be uh, perfect for an audio drama. As well. Was it written for the stage or for audio? Uh, so it was a short story at first, and then oh, yeah. uh, it was yeah written as a play. Um, what I wanted to do, um, 
and I might do it again at some point, is to kind of do it as a play where the audience are blindfolded or it all happens mm. in pitch dark or something like that. Yeah. Um, I think that would be pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, I really like that idea. Well, you should do it and you should tell us when you do it because I want to experience that. <laughs> Let's put you in Maria's shoes. Not her, like, don't go killing people. But if you were on death row, what would your last meal be? So I'm trying really hard to think of something witty to say to this. <laughs> I can't. Um, I haven't actually eaten lunch yet, so I'm, I'm starving. Um, so anything <laughs> at this point, I think. Um, I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe something Chinese. Not a takeaway or anything like that, but. Um, my mum's half Chinese. So we had a lot of Chinese food growing up. So maybe kind of roast duck and pak choy or something like that, maybe. Oh, that sounds good. All right. Do you have anything else coming up in the near vicinity that you want to shout about? Um, I, I do, but I, I don't have a lot of details at the moment. So I might have um, a play on a, uh, the Brighton Fringe. Nice. Um, but details are still being worked out. But if it that does kind of come to pass, that would be a really good one. That's a... It's a chamber play. It's a two-hander that explores um, police culture and what it means to be in the police um, through kind of the format of an interrogation. Um, uh-huh. So, yeah, that'd be cool. And then um, I also have another audio drama piece being released as part of a, a different podcast, the Lost Souls Monologues podcast. Nice. Um, don't have a date for that one yet, but um, that one will be, um, you know, hopefully that'll be cool. That's based on a short story it's set at the the North Pole. Um, it's about someone who's kind of been uh, isolated at the North Pole. Um, so quite quite bleak. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's what I've got coming up. Well, that sounds interesting. Cool. So do you have, where are you online? If people wanted to find you, find your work? Uh, yeah, you can stalk me on Twitter. Um, the handle is at Dark Art Lab. Um, it is kind of a mix. Uh, you know, I, I warn people it is a mix of security research stuff and writing. I, I haven't really separated out those two yet, which I need to do. Um, I imagine there's a niche for that. Yeah, yeah. I, it's just me at the moment. It's a niche of one. Um, but um, but yeah. So if you like cybersecurity and writing, that's a good account to follow. Thank you so much, Matt. Thank you. Cheers. So that interview was recorded back in January and I can now confirm that Matt's play, Stray Dogs, will be performed as part of the Brighton Fringe from the 18th to the 21st of May. He also has a piece being performed in the Scratch Night, Waiting in the Wings, at the Lion and Unicorn Theatre in London on the 22nd and 29th of March. And you can check out the links in the show notes to find more about both of those. Well done, Matt. So that's all we have time for this week. But did you know that the interviews with the writers, as they are in the podcast, are cut down? I've had to trim most of them to keep the pace of the series going. But there's always things that our writers say that I have to cut that I I wish I didn't have to because they're fun or interesting. Now, if you'd love to know more and hear the full-length versions of the interviews with the writers, including hearing my take on what my last meal would be in the chat with Matt Wixey you just heard, you can access all of them, plus copies of the scripts, download and keep copies of the plays, early access to episodes and other exclusive perks by supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash raggedfoils. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week. The Ragged Scratch podcast brought to you by Ragged Foils Productions was produced and hosted by Natalie Winter. Play edits by Natalie Barron and Kirsty Gilmore. The recording engineer was Kirsty Gilmore. The Ragged Scratch podcast theme music was composed by Alex Jones. 
Thanks to our duelist, swashbuckler and savant tier Patreon supporters, John Grayson, Lizzie Wilding and Ruth. You can find us online at Ragged Foils across Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, where we've been tagging this week's creative so you can find out more about them and their work. See you next week.